Hello and welcome to the Live Borders podcast where we will be looking at some of the projects we have running over lockdown and beyond with a special focus on culture and well-being. This time our first online creative writing for well-being program is up and running. We'll hear from the people taking part. I was looking for something different to do during the week. I've never really done any writing before but I love reading and I've started to get a few ideas of what I might like to write. And how having one of our fitness instructors shouting words of encouragement can help you stay healthy. Just having someone to shout at you can get you to do it. (laughs) It's the same with, you know, at school you've got teachers telling you what to do. We're the instructors telling you guys what to do. That can get you moving just in itself. But first, back to the end of 2020, when we brought you A Scottish Christmas Carol, a co-production between Live Borders, Heart of Hoyk and the Uncle Bro Theatre Company. This creative adaptation was performed as a one-man show at the Heart of Hoyk and streamed live into living rooms in the run-up to Christmas. Live Borders also made the show available for free to residents of our care homes across the region. A Scottish Christmas Carol was described as a joyous and distinctly Scottish retelling of a much-loved Christmas classic, featuring a glittering array of characters. Broadcasting live from Heart of Hoyk was a first for us here at Live Borders and the team at Uncle Bro Theatre Company. I asked Ewan and Matthew from the company to tell us more about the production and to reflect on the success of this amazing project. Hello, I'm Ewan McIver. I'm the co-writer and the performer of A Scottish Christmas Carol. And I'm Matthew Rook. I'm the producer, the co-writer and composer for A Scottish Christmas Carol. Jings! Oh, that's no crivens! It was barely a flindrican when I said aff. As we know, Ebenezer Scrooge is, of course, the central character of of A Christmas Carol. But he had to be, from the very outset, instantly, curmudgeonly, miserable, mean, unpleasant, solitary. Uh, The language, of course, tells the audience, but visually, hands grasped tight, downturned mouth, hunched over shoulders. It gives the idea of a character, especially as it's a sedentary uh, presentation. I wanted the audience to know visually, almost immediately, who was speaking. So by adopting the Scrooge face and posture, that, that gave an immediate indication. But then, of course, I had to find the voice and to be able to use it flexibly to display you know, displeasure, fear, wonder, sadness, guilt, remorse, hope, and of course, at the end, happiness. So once I'd found the voice and the posture, the contrast between all the other 24 or so other characters became the challenge. But yeah, finding Scrooge was key to the whole thing. Solo performing, I think, is always an unknown quantity. Uh, You certainly have nobody to rescue you if you forget where you are. But conversely, you're not reliant on anybody else. I'm really no stranger to solo performing. I I did a one-man show at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe and especially commissioned one-man show at the Maltings Theatre in Berwick. I was always told uh, to treat the camera like a friend and to look at it with warmth. 
rather than be nervous of it. So um, the, the solo performing aspect uh, really held no fear for me. So saying, the spirit walked backwards towards the windy, and as he did, a hail-clam jamfrey a noise erupted, a caterwaul of dreadful spirits, and I, the very deal himself, old Nick. The ghost listened for a minute, afore joining in the mournful dirge, and then floated out the windy into the bleak Drichnecht. Performing a translation is, is quite normal. I mean, Burns is loved and revered in Russia and translated into Russia, and of course Dickens is translated in languages all around the world. I guess the difference is, is that we put it into Scots. Now, of course, you wouldn't believe it, uh, perhaps, uh, listening to me, but Scots really is my mother tongue. And uh, working with Scots and the, the sound and the joy and the pleasure of it is something which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. The approach we took was pretty straightforward in that I prepared the abridgment of the story and the first draft in Scots. And then Ewan brought all of his experience in working in uh, Scots language theatre and uh, living in the borders and polished it and really made sure it was fit for our audience. I've always loved the Scots language and my historical novel I wrote recently features heavily the use of Scots. For many years I was also a member of Theatre Alba who specialise in performing in Scots so the language to me is, is like an old friend. This show uh, was conveniently divided by the visitations of the four ghosts so having a couple of minutes between chapters as it were just gave me a minute to think exactly where we were in the story, what it's just happened, what comes next. But I would say staying focused and not letting your attention wander for a second is absolutely vital. Although our setting of the story is very intimate, you're there close with somebody in front of you telling you a tale, we wanted to get the sense of, well, I suppose, epic and gothic uh, immense spaces and that's where music can play that vital role it's, it's almost like it's the fourth dimension in that you can paint a picture which really works at a psychological level and at an emotional level and that's what informed putting music together for this production and so I wanted the music to sound as big and huge and expansive as the visual production was close and small and intimate to create that sense of uh, a real dimensional space. And one of the strange things now is perhaps people listen to more orchestral music than ever before, whether it's in an epic film or whether it's playing a game. And so that language is one where I knew people would feel comfortable and also accept its role in telling you a story in a way that perhaps doing something with electric guitars or you know, drums or uh, electroacoustic sounds just wouldn't do. I've been really lucky uh, at the start of my career to be able to go and study film scoring at Berklee College of Music in Boston. And one of my first lessons, Jim Bartow, the teacher there, said, cliches. Why are there so many cliches? And he said, it's because 
they work. And in a way, we, we've all learned a, a shorthand through watching films or, or listening to them about what's going to happen, what might be happening next. And once you know that people have got those expectations, you can just slightly twist them or add something underneath them where a very sweet little melody could actually become very scary and haunting. Uh, and that's certainly what I was striving for when we did the graveside uh, interlude. So the great thing about technology now is that it is perfectly possible to create a, an orchestral score and have all of that colour and tailor it to suit the work. But it, it may be unusual in, in that I'm very happy working with an orchestra. I'm really happy working and producing in theatre. And to me, it's all about the tools you can bring to make a production work. When it came, it was all draped and hooded in black and nothing of it was visible except yin outstretched hand. This guy, Utlin being filled him with fear. Heart of Hoyek, you know, is a, is a lovely venue to work in. It's, it's friendly, it's fairly intimate. So when our first live broadcast was done, yes, of course, we had a, a sense of achievement. We knew all the hard work had been worth it, but it had to be tempered with the knowledge that, yes, we had another show to do that evening, um, but actually, for me, that the knowledge that live theatre was happening when everybody else was in lockdown was really, really, really something special and something I, I personally I won't forget. Ewan McIver and Matthew Root from the Uncle Bro Theatre Company on the production of A Scottish Christmas Carol. We might be in lockdown, but our fitness instructors at Live Borders are still running a full schedule of online classes. They are all free, streamed live through Facebook, and include everything from beginner's fitness, abs, bums and core and dance, to weights workouts, boxing fitness, and full-on high-intensity interval training. Stephanie Common delivers her sessions from TV Dale Leisure Centre. She brings a stack of energy and encouragement to her workouts. I talked to Stephanie this week about her job as an instructor, the importance of keeping fit over lockdown, and what motivates her to push herself and the people who join her sessions that little bit further. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Hi, it's Steph from uh, TV Dale here, TV Dale Leisure Centre, Live Borders. Um, I'm coming on live now just to get ready to do our weights workout. Um, it is going to work on full body. Back in about 2012, I had a car accident, which was pretty serious. And that kind of is one of the main reasons why I push so hard throughout exercise and my motivation to to improve all the time um, because I didn't think I was going to be here or I shouldn't have been here um, due to the car accident. So every day is another chance to push harder, to train harder, um, to improve yourself and do things that you couldn't believe that you could possibly do. 
what does it take to become a great gym instructor? I, I, I know there must be quite a lot of training uh, involved and qualifications involved to get you to that level where you can share that with other people. I would say that with personal training and fitness in general, you need to have someone that's quite empathetic. You never train or treat anybody the same because everyone's got different backgrounds, different you know habits, things like that. You've got to be able to adjust to different people. Personality as well, I suppose. You've got to have a laugh. If you're too serious, it can be quite harsh on, on our customers. That's not the way it's going to work. You know, they're not going to stay or they're not going to stick to their training or diet. Yeah, so you've got to have a bit of a laugh. You've got to um, obviously be professional. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, if you don't, Practice what you preach, yeah? That's the main thing. So if you live a healthy lifestyle, then training and showing everyone else that that's how, how you can do it to improve, then that's, yeah. And you, you've mentioned sort of diet a couple of times and you're currently working towards a qualification that focuses on nutrition. So th- there's no point in maybe... Um, spending time, you know, uh, following you and your your workouts. If um, you're not taking care of yourself when it comes to, you know, big lunches or or fatty dinners. So how how does this nutritional qualification help you as an instructor? So I'm just trying to improve on what I've got already. So um, obviously, being a personal trainer, we can advise people on what is a better choice for eating, but we've never set out and say you must eat or you must have this. It's all about balance, as many of people will have read or heard. Obviously, you can't out-train a bad diet. You know, everyone talks about you've got your um, balancing scale. If you're putting too much in your mouth and not doing enough exercise, you will not lose the weight. Vice versa, if you're, if you're um, eating not enough and you're training too much, obviously it can be on the adverse effect, not as good for you also. So we need that balance between exercise and food. Three, two, one, rest. 30 seconds, let's repeat it. How are we doing? (laughs) Do we feel good? Three, two, one, go. How important is it to keep active during lockdown, you know, we're, we're about a year in now. It's a year since I've been to the gym. So how important is it to kind of have some sort of cardio, if nothing else? Oh, it is so important. Right now, obviously, most of my classes are mostly cardio. Um, that's due to the fact of people not having weights at home. Uh, it's so important because once we get into that routine of just sitting down and doing nothing, you do get the guilt, yeah? So you feel that bit guilty for sitting down. And when we feel that way, the the brain starts to tick and then we decide to just eat, go back to the fridge. <laughs> and then obviously if weight's being put on, we then feel worse. We sit down again. So we've got that continuous cycle of just sitting and eating and feeling bad and it can start to really affect the mental health as well. So just even getting off the sofa and moving for half an hour, doing one of the workout videos that we've got Live Borders um, Facebook page, 
you know, it makes all the difference. Just that, even that half an hour, even if you can only manage half a class, it's going to get that, those endorphins going. It's going to get the, the blood flowing. Oh yeah. A little bit of sweat is good for you. <laughs> and do you think it's, do you think it's better to join an online session and have the shouts of encouragement from you and, and the rest of the, the fitness instructors at Live Borders? Oh, everybody needs that bit of motivation. And our instructors at Live Borders, Kieran, Catherine and myself, will motivate you through that. So just having someone to shout at you can get you to do it. It's the same with, you know, at school, you've got teachers telling you what to do. We're the instructors telling you guys what to do. And that can that can get you moving just in itself. The workouts from you and the team uh, Live Borders get everyone up and motivated and moving. What was your motivation to become an instructor? My motivation, helping other people, really. Um, I love seeing the change in people, in the moods, in the way they dress, the confidence. That's my pure motivation is other people. Um, even through the workout videos, when someone gives me a like or a love heart, my adrenaline goes through the roof and I end up pushing harder in my own workout because the support is there and I love it. Even if it's a case of someone writes a comment saying hello, I know that I'm not by myself on my videos. So surely those people also knowing that I'm shouting their name out and I'm, I know that they're joining me is another boost. So well done, that's us at the end of the workout. If you want to have a look back at it, save it. Do it again, that's cool. Change legs. All of our online classes are free, but of course, if you want to make a donation to help us keep you moving, you can. All the information is on our website. Back in January, we started a new online creative writing project, which aimed to develop participants' confidence and skills around creative writing. Places for the six-week programme were snapped up and a special Creative Writing for Wellbeing webinar was set up for people who didn't get a place for the weekly sessions. The programme is being delivered by Helen Bowden, a creative writing tutor who specialises in writing for wellbeing, and it's supported by Creative Scotland and NHS Borders. Creative writing is proven to reduce stress and raise mood, as well as increase confidence and motivation. I caught up with tutor Helen, along with participants Catherine and Emily, after their last session and began by asking Helen about the links between wellbeing and creative writing. I think there's a natural overlap because creativity is inherently therapeutic, that immersing yourself. It's an immersive activity. It can distract you from distress or difficulty or the mundanity of what's going on. There are skills you can develop simultaneously in self-care and in creative writing, and they're mutually beneficial. Run me through the, the, uh, the approach, Helen. Uh, talk me through what a, a normal session might be like for yourself and some of the people that join you. 
the sessions are 90 minutes long and they have eight people in them, which will be a little bit less and a little fewer participants than you would have in a room because just because of the difficulties of Zoom. And I designed this as a six week course that would cover an introduction to creative writing for well-being from a number of different perspectives and trace a kind of arc in itself. So the first prompts we did in the first couple of weeks were using existing published poems and then pictures and visual art that I shared online that we used as a writing prompt. And then in the third week, we looked at the surroundings that people were in immediately. So the idea is that you're going progressively from an external perspective to something more internal. People were coming from looking at books, at published poems, at pictures, into what was in their immediate surroundings. We had lovely sessions in the middle where people shared objects they had in their rooms and talked about the history of them. And then we moved very internally to looking at emotions, memories, but put the, the personal internal things and experiment with ideas about breath and rhythm and sound. Because um, going back to your first question, one of the ways in which creativity and well-being interact is in the body and is language, sound, rhythm, poetry. And in each session, we look at a prompt and we do a few short writing exercises the idea being to try a lot of different approaches because people have different learning styles and not everything may appeal to everybody. So you weren't stuck with something for more than about 10 minutes if it didn't, if it wasn't going well. And then you could try a range of different things. Everybody was invited to read round at the end of each writing exercise. You could pass if you didn't want to, but you could share if you did. And I know from early on, we were really keen to make sure that this opportunity was open to people that had maybe had quite a bit of experience with creative writing, but then the opposite side of that, people that were brand new to it and, and just like the idea. So how were you able to develop a, a program that would keep um, both sides of that coin excited and enthusiastic about what you were what you were doing with the sessions? Community courses that I've facilitated over the years have been open to people from different levels of experience. And I actually think that's what makes them work because the more experienced writers aren't going to come to this sort of thing if they're arrogant or competitive and they can, the support they can give to beginners is kind of great. And the freshness and the raw talent, if you like, that beginners bring, that beginners bring to it um, works really well. And I think also, you know, we're in this boat together of being in the pandemic, of being in Zoom. So there's a newness to everybody, regardless of writing experience. Also, if you're an experienced writer, it's like you do exercises like you would if you were a musician or an athlete. Um, and you're not, you're not the same person as you were last week and you're, you know, in a different place. So repeating things that may not be new to you actually has a value and doing it in a group of new people. Um, really has a value as well. And I think it's always important for writers, however experienced, to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And this was an opportunity for them to do so. Of course. So let's turn to Catherine and Emily, who have both taken part in the course. And maybe Catherine will turn to you first. What was it about these workshops that excited you and prompted you to sign up? Um, I've always liked. I've always liked writing but I kind of lack any kind of focus and direction. Now that I've got time to do it, I kind of lose, lose focus. So it's nice to have a 
something to write about, something to go to, and it's something that's, because it's on Zoom, it's very accessible to me. I don't have to go out the house anywhere, which is actually, it's a, that's a positive for me. So. <laughs> and what about you, Emily? So I saw the email and I was in the middle of homeschooling and there wasn't really an end in sight for that. And <laughs> I was looking for something something different to do during the week. Um, and I'd never really done any writing before, but I love reading and I've started to get a few ideas of what I might like to write but I didn't have any idea of how to go about that just where to begin so um, I also thought that it might be good to have a meeting every week because it would give me some accountability that's just the way I, I work best I need I need to have a time in the diary and I need to have a plan um, and I hoped it would, it would get me started and inspire me. And you talked about focus Catherine so did you find that having the same time same day every week um, managed to keep you focused and you know you had something in the diary to look forward to as well yeah definitely yeah it gave me um an enthusiasm to I've got the class on Wednesday I'll, I'll do some writing before then and even though it's not anything that's going to be shared with anybody it was yeah just a motivation to to write and then have a distraction which obviously helps with focusing on negative things as well if you're mm-hmm. writing it down and and Catherine, from our well-being point of view, how do you think taking part in this course over the last six weeks has helped you focus on your own well-being? Yeah, I think I think just how ha- yeah having a distraction, something to focus on, doing something that I normally run away from doing, which is a Zoom meeting or a FaceTime. I, I really didn't like them at all before they became normal. So <laughs> I was quite surprised myself and got more confident with with that and with other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And same question for you, Emily. I found that it was really encouraging, actually, every week meeting up. The first week when we were asked to read a piece of our own writing, it was quite daunting. You know, I'd never done anything like that before. But Helen was really good at coming up with a positive comment or or some way of um, suggesting where we might take that piece of writing and suggestions for the future. So it was actually... Um, it became a lot easier to read it out and it was it, it felt like we couldn't fail it felt like we were always successful every week and also having having the time in the diary I think meant that I had to kind of prioritize a bit of time for myself to do this because it's so hard to find the time otherwise I think. Mm-hmm. And, and Catherine now that the course is finished are you going to still um, try and pencil in some time for yourself every week where you can get your your pencil and notepad out or your laptop out and um, you know jot down some ideas or just take some time to reflect and maybe put that in writing in some way yeah I think so it has kind of given me a little a little kick to to, to carry on carry on writing I've been trying to do it for years and I just kind of fall by the wayside but this has kind of given me a bit of more motivation to to do something kind of concrete And remember, you can find out more about this project and the other services we have mentioned on our website at liveborders.org.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe for future episodes of the podcast. We end this week with two short excerpts from Catherine and Emily, written and developed as a result of attending the workshops. Yeah, this was um, what Helen was saying earlier about... uh, uh about items that were around our house and we had to use our mine was a tired fidget spinner so round and round and round it goes on longer than I think I breathe it spins I breathe it slows it's not enough so I spin again it must be tired with all the spinning 
I breathe and give it a rest. Why writing? I'd like to paint a picture, create a world for someone to fall into, for me and also for others, for us to feel it so completely and forget about everything else. Every character, every place in the book will be created in our mind, visualized, felt and seen. Our synapses will empathize, make connections and then maybe be surprised. <laughs>